Blog Talk Radio. Hi everyone, this is Anne Marie Lockhart, and you're listening to the Boxing Day edition of Fox Poetica's 15 Minutes of Poetry. Um, we're not really celebrating Boxing Day here in New Jersey, but you know, maybe some people are. So you know, whatever. Um, Merry Christmas, and I'm ready to say Happy New Year because that's where my thoughts are right now. I have with me today uh, C.L. Bledsoe who is uh, the author of Riceland, which is a new release from Unbound Content. Thank you for joining me, Court. Um, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, Anne-Marie. Thanks so much for having me. Let's start with a reading, if you will. Okay. Um, this is actually the first poem in the book. Um, it's called Roaches. When I was a boy, I heard roaches sing. It only happened at night after Mom got sick and went back to St. Louis. Dad worked long hours and stayed drunk. Every day I came in from the rice fields, too sweaty to sleep but too tired not to, pressed my cheek to the wall beside the bed because it was cool, and they were in there singing. This is different from in the fields. I'd heard mosquitoes but never roaches sing. I'd felt water moccasins stroke my leg like fingers as they swam past felt the shovel dribble mud down my back like a heavy breeze. The dull gray levees that stretched out before me that day and went the next. Felt the weight of my father's tired muscles as we dragged him from his truck to bed. The quiet of the house since mom was gone. I forget it, forgot it all and listened to them sing. In the mornings I woke, staggered into the dusty light of my father's truck and tucked the memory of my nights away under the hard slap of the sun on my back and the drunken jokes of farmers that didn't make any sense. I sank into the mud of those fields and into myself, waiting until night came, when I could crawl into bed, press my face against the wall, and listen. Hmm. That is the opening poem, and I, I, um, I think it's, it's emblematic of a lot of things. So it, it expresses some humor, and it's also some some very um, unpleasant stuff as well. But the thing that um, leaps out at me as I listen to you read it, kind of different from when I'm reading it on the page, is there's just also a, a real beauty in it, and the natural world descriptions in it are real resonant as well. Um, when did you write Thank that you. poem? Um, actually, I wrote the first draft of that pro- poem about 12 years ago. <laughs> wow. There are two or three poems in here that are quite old um and i you know i was taking a workshop um a creative writing workshop and i was in college and everyone else was writing you know i went to paris one time and my you know even though my parents pay all my bills i'm independent and i'm so bohemian and but life is so hard and you know because my Dishes are from Kmart or something like that. And I just, and I was writing that too, you know, and I, I was equally guilty. And I, I got a couple of weeks into the workshop and, and I, I just thought, this is just such crap. I mean, we're all just writing crap. And um, a couple, of, I think a couple of other people reacted that way too. So I said, you know, that's cool that you went to Paris, but I'm going to, let's talk about, you know, pig farming which is where I had come from, basically. Being, I grew up on a farm in eastern Arkansas, and we raised rice. Um, 
soybeans, we had cattle, we had a fish farm that we did in the um, winter when the crops were laid by. And so I just started writing about that, which I had not really written about before. I had kind of tried to hide it. Mm. And so, um, sorry, I got a little bit of a cold. And uh, so I wrote that poem. I wrote a handful of other ones, which have, you know, been extensively edited so they're barely recognizable from then but still um, and that was the beginning of this book which took uh, pretty much about 12 13 years to write hmm. it's an intense book and it's um and it's a it's a great book I, I mean I have loved every poem I can't think of I can't think of a favorite from the collection because each one brings something additional to it but they tell this whole and complete story that's uh, very sad, but it's also very, um, it's accessible. It's right there at your fingertips, and it, it also doesn't shy away from neither the sad part of it or the humorous side of it. And to blend those two things from place to place really is one of the magic touches of the book. Um, I wanted to ask you about voice. You know, at first, um, the, the, your, your, read, your speaking and reading voice is, is a little different than what the how the book reads on the page. And I think um, this other dimension of listening to you read the poems adds something to this. But I think the thing that gets me about the voice of the book is the way you move from the child's perspective to the adult's perspective, all that space in between, some of which is, you know, a very clear recollection-based poem and some of it is not. Some of it is almost in the moment observation. Um, how hard was that for you? It's not an easy thing to do that. No, it was it was very difficult, which is probably the main reason it took me, you know, so long mm. to write the book. Um, I didn't want to rush it, but it didn't matter because I couldn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I I researched a lot of this stuff really heavily. I interviewed family members, even though I've lived through it, I still went back and, and tried to gather as much information as I could. Um, I I really tried to have that sort of um, journey for the narrator, if, if that even makes mm. sense in a poetry collection, over the course of the book, so that it does start out with a very young narrator um, who's sort of experiencing all these things and growing. Um, and then, uh, you know, he grows into, uh, I would say late teens, early 20s by the end of the book. Mm-hmm. So um, it was, yeah, it was it was difficult, but I definitely paid a lot of attention to voice, to, to word choice, to um, accent. Um, mm-hmm. it's, you know, there are a lot of colloquialisms throughout the book. When I'm reading the poems to an audience, I always have to, I always forget some of these sayings, which, to be honest, a few of them, um, it's, you know, they're very regional, some of them, um, even just to the county and area mm. where I grew up. <laughs> so nobody knows what, you know, I mean, you can tell <laughs> from the context, but, yeah. Well, so, you know, that's one of the things I think also that there's a line there when we're writing that we have to walk and how, how much we convey a dialect into a written form. And I think one sure. of the things, you know, like I said, it's different to hear you hear you read it because there's more of that there than there is on the written page. There's enough on the page where you can get that, 
but it is another dimension when you hear it spoken. But I think, see, that's the thing that makes it so, um, there's a universal quality to this story, even though it is very precise geographically. And um, it's, I think it's linked to a place and a time and an experience that's very unique. But it, the, the broader themes of what you're exploring here are extremely universal and identifiable and relatable. And I think what, the way you handle the language element makes it clear to us where you're, where you're writing from, but it also makes it not hard for us to adapt it, this story, to our own life. You know, which is another thing that's just, it's a very hard thing to do. And I don't know if you thought consciously about that when you wrote it or not, but the effect of it overall is both to kind of bring us into your experience, but also to bring you into our own, which is really great. I, I did. Um, I tried to, anyway. I mean, a lot of it, I'm sure, is just luck <laughs> if it works. <laughs> but I did I did try to um, do that because... Um, you know, like like we were saying, some of the descriptions of you know rice farming, for example. I mean, who knows what rice? Who even knows that rice farming happens in America? Right, right. right. I, I, right I didn't know. know. <laughs> right, but you get down um, to Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, that area, and there's a lot of rice farming because it's mm. a swamp basically, mm. and you need a ton of water. For, for rice farming and you know describing these I, I would have to go through draft after draft to uh, figure out you know this all makes perfect sense to me but you know is it accessible to other people mm-hmm. luckily there are a handful of poets out there who have have at least similar experiences that I was able to use as resources um, you know I, I had a poem one of these poems published in, in a draft, and a great writer who's also from Arkansas named Ed Matt, um he he contacted me and said, you know, in the nicest possible way, um, you, you know, this is kind of not exactly accurate right here. And the way that I put something um, was, he was right. You know, I had screwed up my time frame on this one poem. But um, things like that, you know, uh, I got a lot of help from it, of course, over the years. But, um, yeah, definitely attention was paid. I, I tried to approach it like a narrative, um, like a like a novel in a sense, mm-hmm. though it is poetry. There's, um, you know, I, I would like you to actually, I'm going to take this in a slightly different direction. We'll come back to some of these points in a minute. I would like to hear something else from you, if you would read for us. Sure, absolutely. Um I I think I'll do the title poem. Um, mm-hmm. It's um, it is it has a very young narrator, but it's also at least attempting to be funny. Um, it, it does have a sense of playfulness about it, and um, uh, you know the a lot of these poems do have darker themes. So mm-hmm. I thought I would <laughs> lighten it up a little. It's called Riceland, and it's um, just to explain it. It's about um, after the harvest, delivering the grain to Hmm. Riceland, actually. Riceland is the name of a rice distributor, a processor and distributor, um, which I took to be the title of the the book. So, um, Riceland. We sat in line, a dozen trucks in front, a dozen behind, 
all gray or faded red, the colors of dust, rust, time. Rice chaff filled our lungs, covered our clothes, our faces. We could hardly tell brown from pink. All of us swarthy, dirty. My brother's arm, thick as oak, thrown over the windowsill of the truck door. His cap pushed back. I reached up, lifted my new Riceland cap my father had given me the day before and smoothed my hair as I'd seen him do, trying to look frustrated, annoyed, spiteful. Beside us, beyond us, the sky stretched blue, the land stretched green, all rice fields, all flooded with color. My brother fiddled with the radio, found only country, switched it off, tapped his fingers twice and turned it back on. Old piece of shit, he said. Piece of crap, I said. We pulled up, got out. My brother went in. I stood aside seeing as if for the first time the dryers towering, concrete colored, the tallest things in the world. My brother came out, ash faced, a wad in his hand. He stopped in his pocket to get it out of sight. Wait all day for four and a half, he said, and pulled up to dump the load while I practiced scowling. On the ride back to the field, we topped out at a rumbling 40, listened to more country music, watched the land slide by like clouds. I was learning to complain, learning in patience with the enthusiasm of a dog chasing a stick. My uncle in the combine met us, and we waited while the radio twanged. Come on now, I said, pleased to be the first to complain. My brother scowled and said nothing. And it is funny. And it is, I think, um, one of those touches in the book where it's not only funny, but it's also touching. You know, it's um, you know, a younger brother attempting to you know, be like his big brother and follow the footsteps that come before him into this very, very uh, defined life that you were born into. It's just great. It's just like it shows you the angles and perceptions of, of that age, but from both the internal and external views. And again, that's just not, not an easy task, you know, to, to get both of those things into the one space. Um, Thank you. I am a very lucky editor and publisher in that I get to look at all these, these books and these poems and these, these things as they come together and I get to see these stories take shape. And I, I had the great good fortune this year while we were working on this book We'll also be working on Brian Finelli's book, um, All That Remains, at the same time. And they came out about the same time, and there's just uh, so much in each of these books that supports the other. They're not the same story, um, but they're both coming-of-age stories. They're both told from a perspective of a young man as he grows from a boy into his manhood, and it's about um, being, being in this, in between two worlds, you know, being in between this, life of the hands and life of the word, if you will. And it's, they're just, they're really the, the, I don't know, that space between the stories where they kind of weave together, to me, was just a really great thing to experience as I brought them out. And I, I, I encourage people to read both of these books at the same time to just, um, to just have that, that moment with each story where you can kind of feel them come together and, you know, two separate people, two separate stories, two separate experiences, but so, so uniting at the same time. Um, yeah. When, when you read 
these poems live, you know, in in a in an open space where you don't know who's going to be there. You know, you never know that kind of thing. What is the feedback that you get on the work itself? Um, I've had everything from um, I was heckled once. Whoa. <laughs> I've had, uh, very once or twice. Yeah, I've had um, you know a lot of a lot of very positive reactions. Um, you know, I've I've done a lot of readings and I've had um, a lot of varied experiences at them. People don't. On the one hand, there's this sort of knee-jerk reaction. Oh, it's you know it's this rural kind of uh, mythos that is that I'm presenting, and people say, well, that's you know that's really um, been done. Which yeah, it, it has in a sense. But what I've you know I've presented these saying, how many of you have ever heard poems about rice farming? You know, this is, <laughs> and that's kind of um, you know it's 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 different. It's definitely different. And so once people get past that, I think it's yeah. they have been very receptive. The um, the heckling was um, I don't actually remember what poem, but it was uh, because I this guy just started asking me all these questions. Um, about while well, I was you know in the middle of a poem, he just started asking me all these questions about the farm I grew up on and how big it was and things like that. And I'd said you know it's a it's a medium sized farm, which um, you know was uh, like eight hundred nine hundred acres, which you know compared to my thinking was compared to the big big farms. Then that yeah that's a medium sized farm, but it's not mm-hmm. a little truck farm, which is what most people are. Um, are, are familiar with, and so I think that he he really thought that I was somehow being insincere about mm. uh, my background, which you know, if I was going to make up a background, I would make up a lot better one than this um, <laughs> that presented me in a lot better light, and and you know, I would be a, a Rockefeller or something, but not you know the son of a high school dropout and a an English teacher. Um, but you know, what are you gonna do? You know, people react to mythology ideas in a certain way, and it's funny what we do mythologize as a culture. You know, it, it it's ironic that you have to explain your validity to somebody about this these these stories in and of themselves. Whereas you see, you know, the <laughs> the thing that always stands out to me is. Um, People who get up there and read um, all these poems about how difficult their lives have been in regards mm-hmm. to relationships or whatever, and when it's men doing that, it's mm-hmm. always how they've just been abused and mistreated by mm-hmm. women. And uh, you know, really, no, you haven't. You just <laughs> you just didn't get what you wanted, and that's the thing, you know. And yet nobody questions that. Or, right. Um, You're right. Or whatever. Right. You know, nobody questions that. No, I that. think it's a hugely valid point. I, you know, what are we willing to accept hearing? What stories are we willing to accept hearing? Which ones are we not anxious to right. embrace? You know, I think that's a very good point. I think and, a lot of that, it is familiarity. Yeah, I would agree. And I also think the other piece, too, not only familiarity, but it's like you said, when we couch um, disappointment, 
as a victimization yeah. of a kind sometimes, which makes it a little easier to accept possibly or, you know, it's easier to feel wounded than to just feel let down, <laughs> you know? Sure, sure. I think there are elements of that to it. And I think, you know, part of the male bravado we've, we've embraced is it, kind of a sense of men should and shouldn't have these experiences in this particular way. And it is one of the things that I... Um, I think maybe give people some difficulty with the collection. It is about relationships. It's about relationships among people and among um, and between people and the land and people and their livings and people and their lives. But it's 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 all of that. It's not just the one type of relationship, you know. And it's also not just, you know, I I was wronged or I was hurt or I didn't get what I wanted. But it's almost as if you know, in writing about your mother, for example, you're not just writing about how it felt to be the child of of a woman in an in, an, in a sick and um, degenerative condition, but also we get glimpses of uh, what that frustration was like for her, or for your father, or your brother. Right. Like these are these elements right. all come through to dimensionalize that and not just make it, you know, what the child saw. That's there but that's not the only piece to the story and I think that's hard you know it's hard for people to hear it's hard for them to see in their own lives that other people within their realm had problems too you know because it's not just always my problem sometimes it's it's not at all my problem but that's how I perceive it and I think that's um that's a challenging position to take and you do it throughout the book in a beautiful way um and it's it just fleshes out everybody's character in a, in a realistic manner. And I think reality is hard. And people don't always come to poetry for reality, uh, which is sad. They should. Right. I, yeah, when, I think that's very true. <laughs> what? Um, it's, it's odd, what, but it's true, yeah. It is. You'd think it would be, you know, some, I mean, we, we turn to mythology <laughs> before we turn to poetry, you know, for guidance sure. in some ways. But that is what it is. What um okay when you put the book together, so I know that you had you had poems, um and you considered you know which ones to include which ones to leave out. How did you come up with this collection of these poems? What how did you decide? No, I'm not going to put this one in. I'm going to use this one instead. How did that happen? Um, I first put it together after I'd been working on it for maybe five six years. Mm-hmm. And I had I put together a little chat book and sent it out and you know entered a couple of contests and came in you know second or, or or something like that but didn't place it which is good actually because it gave it more time to grow but um mm-hmm. honest, honestly it was a pro, it was a steady process it wasn't you know it, it really until the time I sent it to you I had not stopped working on it. And there were, you know, there were a handful of poems that um, I finished, you know, basically right before I sent them to you. I mean, they were, you know, I I had sat on them for a couple of months, maybe. Um, So it was a steady kind of winnowing process. I would pull things in and out. I had um, ideas of themes that I needed to address, and I had ideas of sort of storylines that I needed Mm -hmm. to address. To, to make it a complete narrative um, as yeah. a book. And so I would add things for those, but it was very slow because um, I couldn't 
just you know I couldn't say oh well I need a poem about um, you know my mom suffering from Huntington's disease and how that affected her um, her work her, her she was right. a school teacher right. and so I couldn't just sit down and do that though it um, right. for a lot of reasons because you know one of them primarily being frankly because it was really difficult to write about. Right. Um, and so it would really just be a matter of, of waiting for that to happen. And then maybe I would pull one in and, you know, pull something else out and, and replace it with that. Um, I went through quite a quite a bit um, of, of <laughs> revision over time. I, I really, I put more work into this book than anything I've, else I've published by far. Mm. Um, and it, yeah, it was really just, kind of a constant thing. I would just come back to it. Maybe I would go visit my family and I would get an idea for a poem and, um, you know, write that and then tinker with the manuscripts some more. But it was really probably every few weeks over the course of 12 or 13 years, um, yeah. pulling ones in, taking others out. Um, let me hear one more poem from the collection, if you will. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to do one that's um, a little, sorry, still got a call. <laughs> a little bit um, <laughs> the from a little bit, yeah. Um, my daughter has been sick for about a week. She, she's two and a half. And, you know, she Aww. sneezes directly. <laughs> I pick her up and she sneezes right into my face or something like that, you know, about every 15 minutes. Um, so much fun. But, yeah. <laughs> and I and I think, well, you know, maybe I won't get sick. Maybe I'm somehow <laughs> superhuman or something, but, you know, I'm doomed. But it's just how it is. I will well just go back and enjoy it. This is, uh, I, I'm going to read a poem that, again, is another attempt at humor, but it's uh, old, it's an older character. It's a teenage voice. Um, it's, Totally true. I say character. All these have been totally true. Um, and uh, there are a few poems in the book that I've compressed time or something like that. I've changed people's mm-hmm. names. But they're all pretty much true. Um, the events, anyway, are true. You know, mm-hmm. some of the other things that tell you who they are um, mm. have changed. So this one, um, this is actually maybe the second oldest poem in the book. Um, it um, it went through a draft where it was serious, if you can imagine once I read it. it was it, that, um, And I realized that's just not um, what I'm trying to say here. And it touches on what we were talking about, about um, this idea of, of the, you know, wounded me when really mm-hmm. I was a bastard. <laughs> I deserved everything I got. Um, So, uh, it's called Remember. You wrapped the night around you like a shawl and said that I never remember. I watched your lips dance to the words and didn't hear a thing. The wind brushed thin strands of hay-colored hair across your shoulders. You said something about the way the lake captured the light of the moon and held it while I watched your nipples poke at the cloth of your shirt. As you said, love is like the moon and the lake two things forever separate that sink into each other at night. I nodded slowly and tried to think of something clever, 
but all that came to mind was the time in the back of Stephen's car when you asked me to spank you. I put my arm around your shoulder and considered my chances of getting oral when you said, she isn't even pretty, really. What do you mean, I started to say, but you cut me off. I could have you to myself if I wanted. It's not like that, I said. Let me explain. But you leaned in close and slipped something in my pocket with a happy anniversary. I stood dumb as you drew the moonlight into your eyes like a breath and said that I never remember. Yeah. Another poem where there's humor there, but the the, the message is used to deliver something much sharper than that. And really well done. Thank you. What are you working on now? Um, I have a sort of um, sequel to Riceland that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the um, you know the kind of the heart of Riceland is my mother's um, struggle with Huntington's disease, which is uh, mm-hmm. people who don't know it's kind of like a cross between Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Um, it attacks the nervous system and the brain, um, and so it's genetic. And so I went through um, a process of testing to see mm-hmm. if I had it before I had a kid because I didn't want to pass mm-hmm. it on, you know. And I didn't want, um, if I was going to have a kid, I didn't want my kid to have to basically go through what I had gone through um, mm-hmm. with a parent having this. And so um, I have a collection that I'm working on that's about, it's about that, but it's mostly about um, that kind of 20-something um, milieu of, of, you know, making a life together, sort of picking up the pieces, um, mm-hmm. which I think I think is really <laughs> hard to write about and be interesting. <laughs> it seems when you're in your 20s, uh, especially early 20s, I think it seems like it's, you know, this incredibly interesting time. But to anyone 